Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy championship week. We're here to break down the AFC and NFC championship, maybe under an hour, maybe not. Who the hell knows? As always, I'm joined by none other than PFF's finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how are you? Man, I'm doing good. I'm like, you know, like I was blowing you up today on our <coughs> Slack channel. You're like, dude, just too much energy too early. It was also like 11.45, but you know what, Dwayne, I like to sleep in. So. <laughs> it's okay. Like, you work late too. I was, uh, uh, yeah, I was messaging one of our, one of our lovely bosses, uh, Austin, at like 1.45 a.m. last night about some podcast ideas. So, you know, I, I don't subscribe to the wake up at 6 a.m. theory. Like, who cares? Time is just a freaking artificial thing that some dude that had way too much time when their hands made up like hundreds of years ago time is something that some dude with too much of it made up yes that's my <laughs> is that what on, i heard that's my thoughts on the matter <laughs> all right well we'll we'll save that for a philosophical <laughs> podcast that we'll do later in the year Ian. anyway part of what Dwayne and i were discussing was some awesome like just uh coverage data that he's been pour- pouring over for the last couple of days and has some awesome takeaways with that and i just want to let all you know that after this week we're going to kind of revert to off-season mode of this podcast Hell no, we're not taking time off. That's ridiculous. We got way too much to talk about and not enough time to do it. Going back to the freaking time subject that is now uh, taking over the podcast. But anyway, what Dwayne and I are going to do is every Tuesday, we're going to do a podcast more focused on, you know, three to five like segments. Like it might not be the most cohesive thing ever, but we do a bunch of cool shit during the week. Might as well highlight that throughout the offseason. And then for each month, February is going to be Dynasty. March is going to be Best Ball. April is going to be, you know, Draft and Combine or, you know post-combine, things of that nature. We're going to have a theme for every single month, and we're going to really try dive into that with four or five series-related episodes on Thursday. Also getting back into the swing of the 10 questions pod. So for the next three months, plan on having at least three PFF Fantasy Football podcasts in your iTunes, Spotify, wherever the hell you listen to us, and then we'll have many more to come once the true offseason gets rolling in May. But enough of that, Dwayne. Let's focus on the here and now, and that is the AFC Championship. Our Cincinnati Bengals facing off with the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead. Kansas City sticking as a seven-point favorite. Game total all the way up to 54.5 after opening at 50.5. Dwayne, let's start things off with the Bengals because, my goodness, nobody in Kansas City, let alone on the team, could come close to guarding Jamar Chase that first time around. And you kind of look at Joe Burrow and what he was able to do in that matchup. And it was whatever he wanted. Four for five against quarters, four for four against cover three, six for seven against cover one, 10 for 12 against cover two. When Burrow is on top of his game, nobody, including the Chiefs, are really even capable of slowing the guy down. And that was especially true against the Blitz, which has been the case all year. If you were defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, Dwayne, or just, uh, you know, a fan who for some reason gets to have the ear of Andy Reid or whoever for a little bit, what would be your best bet to try to slow down Joel Burrow? Or are they just screwed? Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't run as much man coverage like the Chiefs run the ninth most man coverage in the league. They're one of the few teams that are up over the 30 percent mark. And we've just seen that, like when you allow Burrow, you know, to set back and know who's going to be covering, you know, who and he just gets to pick like whichever player he wants. Like he's done really well, you know, in that situation, you know, this season so far. So when you look at Jamar Chase, 34.5 percent of the time he faces single man coverage, he's got a ball coming his way. T Higgins, if he sees single man coverage, 30. 8.5% of the time. So it's just, it's like pick your poison kind of thing. Um, and I, I just think that's going to be problematic, you know, for the chiefs. And we actually saw that show up last week. Like if you think Gabriel Davis is a handful, okay, well, here comes Jamar Chase and T Higgins. So I, I think it's a bad matchup, honestly, for the chief secondary. And the other thing they like to do is blitz. Well, you've talked about it before. How good is Burrow against the blitz? Like it's the, the things that the chiefs naturally do well, that they hang their hat on defensively are the things that actually Kansas city is really good at overcoming. So I think it's going to be, it should be a good game. It's going to be problematic. My one concern is like, can the chiefs offensive line hold up? We saw a lot of those pressures now an inordinate amount of those pressures turned into sacks last week against Burrow. 60%. Like percent. Yeah. That's look, ridiculous. Exactly. If you look at the pressure rate versus like what the sack rate turned into obviously burrows eating a lot of those he doesn't want to turn them over he doesn't want you know i don't know why he doesn't throw the ball away but i mean he's got his own reason he's an nfl quarterback not me <laughs> um but i think that could be the one key um if they can get pressure with just four you know or do like what you talk about create some of those simulated looks but they don't do that a ton 
No. And also, to be fair, Joe Burrow, the first simulated pressure they ran last week, it oh, got him. It took him down for a sack. <laughs> no, but then like the next four or five, yeah. he completed all of them for first down. Yeah. So, you know, that's the thing with Burrow. Like, versus the Blitz, okay, he is our top-graded quarterback. He's still fourth against, you know, non-blitzes. And he's second in yards per attempt when he's not blitzed. He's first when he is blitzed. Like, it's really hard to find anything resembling a crypt tonight for Joe Burrow because, to your point, you can take away Jamar Chase. He's still got to worry about T. Higgins. We even mentioned Tyler Boyd, who's set up against maybe the weakest link of the secondary in Legereus Sneed in the slot last week, allowed eight of nine targets in his coverage to be caught for 86 yards and a score. So I think it does come down to that pressure because this actual, when they faced back in week uh, was it 17? Yeah. Uh, when they faced off. When they faced in that, I mean, the Chiefs were able to pressure Burrow actually more total times than the Titans did. You know, Chris Jones, six pressures. Melvin Ingram had four. Frank Clark, Michael Dana, Jerron Reed each have multiple pressures as well. You know, whether or not they can convert at that same ridiculous weight rate. I mean, for context, everyone, 60% of those pressures were converted to sacks. No other offense was above 41% last week. So it really was an anomaly with what we were able to see out there. Dwayne, any thoughts kind of on the running game for Sen- See, we've seen Burrow, I mean, excuse me, Mixon kind of take a little bit of a backseat in terms of a rusher over the past four or five weeks as Burrow's, you know, put more of the offense on his back. But hey, at least four catches in each and every one of those games. Maybe that could be the X factor they lean on if the Chiefs are able to somehow slow down Chasing Higgins on the outside. Yeah, the key is for uh, the Bengals just have to stay ahead and down in distance. Like as long as they do that, like they're more willing to keep Mixon on the field. But once you truly get into long down and distance type stuff on third down, they're going to go to P Ryan. Um, but we've seen that multiple times this year. We that That's actually the games where you see Mixon pop up and you're kind of like, wow, where'd that come from? A lot of that time, it's really that they're staying, you know, ahead of the down and distance, right? They're staying in, you know, second, medium, third and short, those sorts of things where it really keeps the playbook more open and Mixon can still be a viable option out of the backfield versus whenever they want to go to the two-minute offense or the really long down and distance stuff where they use P-Rhyme. But as far as like the Bengals passing offense, um, it's definitely up versus, you know, and this is since week 12 now um, versus the season. So if you look at it, trailing by four or more points, they're minus 1% um as far as like comparing them versus the nfl average drop back rate so the basically passing versus running Um, but once you get to within three points they're plus five percent versus the nfl average and then leading by four or more points is plus seven percent now again this is just since week 12 but that's the kind of stuff that kind of hurts joe mixon um because a lot of times you know if you're in an offense like you're dealing with with the Bengals, you get late in the game you get a lead and who knows if that's really will be the case against you know the chiefs i think we're all anticipating this should be you know more of a shootout but if you did get into a game script where you're leading they're just not running the ball as much even when they're leading so it's not quite like what we see from the chiefs or the bills where they're super crazy on their pass rates but it's well above the league averages now so the Bengals are definitely more uh willing to throw the ball leaning into the passing game more than the running game can't say enough about how big that workload was for Mixon throughout the regular season, you know, until a little bit more um, over recent weeks. So I have an article up on PFF.com that will be live when you guys are listening to this. Basically, I looked at how the 2021 running back ranks would have looked in 20, yeah, this season if we turned injuries off for the position. So I went through all 32 teams, picked the most relevant split, then basically projected that out to 17 games. And Joe Mixon, even if none of these other running backs got hurt, still would have come out as the overall RB7. So over off RB4 and the present reality we live in uh, just realize yeah always was a play with volume and hey Dwayne will take the pass volume over the run volume if we can still continue to get that let's turn things over to the Chiefs and this is where it's interesting man like a Again, could find very few holes in the entire Bengals offensive plan other than on the line of scrimmage. For the Chiefs and Mahomes, yes, they've improved against some of these two high looks that, you know, anyone, everyone has talked about all season long. With that said, in this specific last matchup, it didn't go all that great. I mean, Mahomes just 7 for 11 for 54 yards, 4.9 yards per attempt for those counting at home versus cover two. When he faced cover three, 12.9 yards per attempt. Cover one, 14.3 yards per attempt. And then quarters was also down at 7. So also, like Joe Burrow, he's one of these guys that we don't want to blitz. If you look at it on the season, just largest yards per attempt increases 
against the blitz. And then, you know, when you're not blitzed, number one is Joe Burrow. Number two is Teddy Bridgewater, which I think actually makes sense. Teddy's not someone that necessarily wins with a big arm. I I'm, I can picture this be making sense again, where, you know, quick mind sees the blitz, able to get the ball out faster, more efficient. And then number three is Patrick Mahomes. So I think if you're the Bengals, you kind of want to do what you did last time. Don't make a habit of blitzing Mahomes. Sit back with your two deep safeties and really try to win the game with your pass rush and some playmakers and coverage because Dwayne in that matchup man a lot of the things that the Chiefs were able to capitalize on these are things that we didn't see all year I mean you look at the big plays Blake Bell had a 24 yard catch Miko Hardman had a 53 yard like downfield catch that made me double take when I was like <laughs> rewatching the game I was like oh I you know when I saw the box score I just figured it was one of those pop passes but no this was like a nice uh, over the shoulder catch downfield Byron Pringle 27 yards Demarcus Robinson 29 yards Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill in this first matchup they combined average 5.9 yards per catch. That's the only time all year they were below even seven, man. So the Bengals really were awesome in taking away Travis Kelsey, taking away Tyree Kill and those big plays. And man, if you look at last week, Mahomes, okay, he was fantastic. He also had a 5.2 yard average target depth, third lowest mark of the year. Dwayne, how confident are you in the Chiefs keeping on, keeping on? Or are we maybe going to finally see some of these problems that have caused the Chiefs to have some pitfalls throughout the year rear its ugly head at the worst? time possible I, I think that Mahomes is really I think he's gotten into a groove now facing these coverages I mean it, I think we could still potentially see a dud but I mean just looking you know since week 15 passing yards and touchdowns 410 and 3 258 and 3 259 and 2 270 and 2 404 and 5 378 and 3 um, I mean so like the a dot has come down um, much more of his yardage is coming after the catch versus, you know, through the air. Um, so to me, it's like he's made the adjustment. I mean, if we look at it just the last three games, he's got 1,052 yards and 10 touchdowns, you know, despite the fact that his A dots have been 4.8, 5.9, and 5.2. What's interesting is his time to throw is not coming down. It's not changing. So it's still like Mahomes is doing his thing, maneuvering the pocket, finding that right opportunity, a lot of times on a scramble drill, which you don't get as, as often. Often, you know, with a lot of these other quarterbacks, Mahomes is one of the best at it. And so he's he's holding the ball still long enough, not taking it's not like his sack rates are shooting up. They're still good. Two percent, seven percent, four percent, seven percent. One is high, but you're going to have weeks like that. Um, and then he's also scrambling a little bit more. So I, I really like where Mahomes is at. And if you think about it, like I think the other part, Ian, is Tyreek Hill was really banged up for two weeks. Right. We saw the week really three. He had the week where he hurt his heel, the next week where he tried to play through it, didn't play much. Then last week, um, or not last week, but the week before, like I know he played like 75% of the routes, but he just wasn't Tyreek Hill. This last week really seemed to be the first time that Tyreek Hill was probably fully healthy in a month at a minimum in the last three games. So, and we, we saw that, right? Tyreek Hill, you get him the ball in space and all of a sudden he can turn what looks like a good angle to most defenders on most plays. And all of a sudden, oh my God, what the hell just happened to me? Because He's Tyreek throwing up a peace sign with the defender <laughs> still in I front know, of him. I know. Like, come on. It's like insane. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, crazy. I'm not sure, like in Madden, I, at least the last, I, I'm not a big Madden. Listeners of this podcast know I'm a NCAA football 14 guy to my core. But I'm pretty sure in Madden over the years, last one I bought was like the OBJ uh, big catch one. I think like you physically can't celebrate until you're like a certain amount of distance ahead of like the nearest defender. I don't think you could have even replicated Tyreek Hill's celebration in a video game is my point. <laughs> yeah. And on the most video game like player we have at receiver right now. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Seriously. All right. Final kind of note here while we're on the subject. I do want to point out that as bad as, you know, a lot of people just as much as a lot of people want to put that Titans loss just on the back of Ryan Tannehill, you got to give that Bengals secondary some credit. Two of those three interceptions were tipped. I mean, that play that Jesse Bates made on the first play of the game to be able to jump uh, that throw to Julio was absolutely spectacular. Eli Apple got his hand in there on the final uh, play from scrimmage. You know, we got Eli trying to declare war on seemingly uh, every fan base in America he can get his hands on at the moment. I absolutely love it. More players need to just turn heel, man. It's so entertaining yeah. in uh, today's age of social media. But yeah, between them, Chidobia Wuzier, man, you got some playmakers uh, deep. And, you know, going back to kind of my first article of 
the um, play, uh, playoff season where I was looking at the most complete teams in the NFL. Bengals didn't exactly come out great because of the defense, but their secondary and their havoc was fine. The real issue was that they were 26th in yards after contact allowed per carry. But Dwayne, like, I don't think that's going to be an issue against Clyde Eversolaire and Jarek McKinnon in a Chiefs offense that obviously wants to go out there and throw the ball. So any kind of general thoughts on these running backs potentially making a difference? We've seen Jarek bring some nice stuff to the table, but, you know, Clyde, as we brought up all year, man, it's not even that like he's been not performing that well. We all, I think, can put that together. But even his usage just hasn't quite been the same. I mentioned that, you know, non that injury study I've been doing. Even if Clyde didn't get hurt all season, we still would have only expected him to finish as the RB26. So his expected well, he was, yeah, he was scoring over expected points anyway on the limited touches that he had had, like versus Dude, what we yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just not even so far. He's played 26 games for the Chiefs. He has 12 total touchdowns. Kareem Hunt had 26 touchdowns in 28 games while, you know, just going bonkers with the uh, yards and efficiency as well. So out of Clyde and Jarek, man, we kind of saw Jarek take over that role last week. Do you think that persists or maybe just maybe do we see them try to hashtag establish it against, again, potentially the most weak part of this Bengals front seven? Yeah, I think you could see anything happen here, but I think they're going to stick with McKinnon. You know, uh, I mean, Edwards there was a game time decision the week before. Then last week, right? I mean, he practiced, he was in full. He was never on the injury report last week. So, I mean, like, he came out and practiced full on Tuesday all the way through. So, I think he was really. He was ready. He was healthy. And we've seen Edwards Lair come back from injuries before where he'd missed three or four games and, and slide right back into the role that we've normally seen. I truly think that the Chiefs have seen they have something that's a little different with what they can do with McKinnon, especially the way defenses are playing them. Get being, I think a big part of it, Ian, is, is knowing that they can get the ball to him in the passing game as a potential third playmaker that really punishes teams for just keeping everyone back. And they're like, fine, we'll just take this rack stuff and look, I think we all know this, like, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like there's things he does better than McKinnon, you know, just kind of like that make you miss in the phone booth kind of thing. Edwards-Alaire is pretty good at that. But like once he beats his first man, like he, it's almost like he always immediately gets caught. Whereas Jared yeah. McKinnon, you beat the first man and maybe he's not quite as good as Edwards-Alaire at that, but I wouldn't say he's a big downgrade. Um, but once he does that, like he can then he can add another chunk of 10, 15 yards off of that, whereas Edwards Alaire is not getting those. So I, I think McKinnon will be the main guy this weekend. I'm, I mean, last week, 70% of the snaps, 50% of the rushing attempts still. Um, so yeah, they did give a little bit more work to Edwards Alaire, who had 35%. And then the routes were at 73%. Like, so 50% of rushing attempts and 73% routes and a really good um, offense. That's Alvin Kamara type utilization, right? And so you're playing on the Chiefs. Are we saying Jarrett McKinnon's Alvin, Alvin Kamara? No, but the utilization right now is very similar to what you expect from like peak Alvin Kamara. So, man, I nearly put McKinnon at number one this week. The only reason I didn't in my ranks is just because like, you know, there's still a little bit of an unknown. Like what if Daryl Williams, you know, he comes, he's kind of the wild card, right? Do they turn yep. it into a three-way backfield if he's back? Because he's really missed the last two games with a toe, even though he played two weeks ago. So I think that's the tricky thing. Um, but if I knew McKinnon was for sure the guy, I would have put him over Mixon. If, if I wasn't worried at all about Daryl Williams, and look, we, we have some good backs on this slate. You know, Cam Akers is also taking over an everyday role. We'll talk about him in a minute. So it's a lot to say that it's not just because there's four games. McKinnon's utilization, like is if this was the normal season and we were playing, you know, with a full slate, he would have a shot at the top 12 based on his recent weeks. Oh, one other real quick thing, kind of touching on what you mentioned last week. Um, the Bengals, man, they really threw a curveball at um, the Titans. And I think it kind of works as a good warm up really for what they need to do against the chiefs. But if you look at what the Bengals have done, as far as like their zone coverage versus man coverage splits for the weeks leading up, I'll just kind of give you like the four or five weeks before last week, um, they had ran zone 47% of the plays, 61%, 67%, week 18, 52%, wild court, wild card round, 56%. And then last week against the chiefs, 87 or sorry, against the Titans, 87% of the time they went zone. And so I think you could see them do something similar to that against the Chiefs this weekend. Now, week 18, they did use that 52% um, zone. So they were well, they were willing to use more uh, man coverage um, back in week 18. Or sorry, week 17. Was that the week? Uh, 17. Yeah, sorry. So 67% zone that week. Um, against the against the Chiefs for the Bengals. So I do think, and that's the most that the Bengals have used zone all year. 
87% last week. So it really, you know, and I, maybe part of that goes back to some of the picks, you know, that we saw. Now, not all of those were on Tannehill. Two of them were tips. One was just yeah. a great play by Hilton. Um, but just something to keep an eye on. So I, I think we'll probably see something similar against the Chiefs. That Hilton play was unreal. Was amazing. Was like, throw the ball around him. What are you doing? It's like, well, I mean, that was just kind of a great play. All right, weather in Kansas City looks fantastic. That's a play that if you are playing Madden and you make it against your opponent, they just rage quit. My wall is my yeah. My controller is going off the wall uh, in that situation. Weather in Kansas City looks absolutely pristine. Forty six degrees at three p.m. on Sunday. One percent chance of precipitation. Four miles per hour in the wind. Obviously, LA is looking fine as well. Dwayne. Chiefs minus seven. Who do you have in this? I lean Bengals covering, but ultimately having, you know, the clock strike midnight on this Cinderella yeah. story that we've seen. I'm the exact same. same. Page. I, I think once you're at seven for me, like I've got to take the points. Yep. Um, like six, I think it's more of a conversation, um, you know, because I think that, you know, Kansas City is one of the one of the stadiums where you actually still really do have home field advantage. It's mostly gone in the NFL just because of the way you know, the, the, the way the travel schedules and everything work now, how much better the visiting locker rooms are, the, you know, it's just, it's not the same, you know, and up tempo like negates a lot of it now. Um, so, but with the chiefs, that's the one place where you hear every player say it's like playing college football again. It's just (laughs) nuts. So I think there is a home field advantage. So my point is like, you already got it. That's like a, that's, that's three points right there. Like, like right off the bat. So we're basically looking at another four points on top of that. Um, you know, so I mean, it's not it's saying lot. it's undoable, but yeah, I'm taking the points. And if you want to go gamble on these games this week, and I invite you to do so at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. You can get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, and then Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only $5 deposit, $1 wager, one per customer. Should supply to JustSports.com. Support for details. Gambling problem call 1 800 Gambler. Also, one of your last chances to qualify for Western Southern's fantastic feast. You can go submit any questions for Chris Collinsworth at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And yeah, people, any question, automatically qualify. Not saying you're going to win, but you could win for a catering up to $2,500 coordinated with the restaurant near you for the big game, February 13, 2022. Hint, hint, the winner of these two games will be playing then. So remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Go ask that question at westernsouthern.com slash feast. And also, people, it's a giving season. I know Christmas is over, but Valentine's Day is coming up. What better way to get your – what better gift to give your loved one? Uh, what was the Ricky Bobby quote? Then the Jackhawk 9000. <laughs> he pulls that big-ass knife out. I'm actually going to go here with the PFF subscription. So 25% off any PFF sub if you use code FANCY. All that PFF locked article content, betting dashboards, NFL green line, player prop tool, NFL draft guide that and so much more support the pod go get your loved one a PFF subscription for that special day of the year promo code fantasy 25% off any sub or get them you know something from Manscaped maybe that's a little more up your alley because this Valentine's Day it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped the leaders in below the waist grooming with our exclusive offer go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping again that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day Rams at the 49ers, I should say, at the Rams. Rams sitting as three and a half point favorites, moving just ahead of that match with number three. Game total down to 46 from 47. So, Dwayne, you know, I kind of went on my Jimmy G rant in our last uh, episode of the podcast. <laughs> if uh, you all missed You're that. You're just missing basically. Baker Mayfield. Look, you don't have Baker Mayfield. So, Jimmy G is the next Boom. closest thing. You know, similar schemes, similar kind of stuff. So, I know what you're doing. <laughs> well, here's my the thing with Jimmy. During the year... He doesn't like, you know, I was talking to Kevin Cole about this. Big time throws are more of a play style stat. Yards count the same regardless of how you get them. So we shouldn't necessarily penalize Jimmy G for not having as much flair to his game. So when I say that him and Mike Glennon have the largest difference in big time throws and turnover worthy plays on the season, that's not good for Jimmy G, but it's also like not the most damning thing possible. Again, during the season, we see him put up some really good efficiency numbers regardless. That just hasn't been the case in the playoffs since 2006, which is the furthest our PFF 
database goes 34 quarterbacks with at least 100 playoff dropbacks dudes 29th in pff passing grade 31st in qb rating still only 18th in yards per attempt 32nd turnover worthy play rate like dude has not been doing it his entire playoff career and you might say ian what about you know the clutchness he's shown the wins and all that he's 14 of 26 for 148 scoreless yards with a pair of interceptions during the playoffs like I just don't know what to do here, Dwayne. I think everyone is so used to crowning the quarterback correctly for having the most to do with the team's win that we just feel obligated to do so when Jimmy G wins instead of looking at it for what it is, man. Here are his five career playoff games. 2019 divisional round, 19 attempts, completed 11 for 131 yards, a touchdown to pick. 2019 NFC Championship, just grits it out with a gutsy win, six completions on eight attempts for 77 scoreless yards. The Super Bowl, 20 for 31, 219 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Wild card round against the Cowboys, 16 for 25, 172 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. Last week, takes down Aaron Rodgers with 11 completions on 19 attempts, 131 passing yards and a pick. Like, come on, everyone. He's not the same quarterback as anyone else, so stop giving him the same credit that you want to give anyone else. We were two ridiculous block kicks away from the entire conversation being Kyle Shanahan needed to go with Trey Lance because an offense with Kittle, Debo, Brandon Ayuk hasn't scored an offensive touchdown in 80 minutes. And Dwayne, I know there were a few drops thrown in there, but my God, again, this is not a one-time thing here. We now have five playoff games of evidence that not only is Jimmy G being asked to do less than any playoff quarterback in recent memory, He's doing a bad job with what he's asked to do. And that's that's all I gotta say about Jimmy G. That's <laughs> Look, it. He's a bus driver. Like it's fine. It is what it is. Like Baker's a bus driver too. The problem is he's you know making too many of the turnover worthy plays. So like I agree that turnover worthy play, the big time throws, you know, can relate to play style. But I think play style is often driven by knowing what the limits of your capabilities are. Right. So if Jimmy G had Josh Allen's arm and legs. I'm not so sure that his brain wouldn't think the same way Josh Allen does, such as, well, I'll just hang back. I'm going to buy a little time. I'm just going to bust off the top of this thing with Gabriel Davis, just going to bomb it over everybody and get a big time throw. Um, so I think they go hand in hand, but I do agree that you can, you can be a winning quarterback without having those things. Um, but I do think that obviously this offense helps Jimmy G a lot. Um, there are certain things that Jimmy D Jimmy G does well though, that work really well in the Shanahan, you know, offense, like the end breaking throws and those sort of things where he does a nice job, doesn't mess around like in double clutch, triple clutch, everything like you see with Baker, that was his problem this year, um, or part of his problem anyway. So yeah, I, I, I agree though, overall with what you're saying, you know, on Garoppolo, the thing that I'm looking at, you know, in this matchup is you're getting the 49ers pass catchers versus the Rams um, secondary, which is, you know, normally really tough, right? For anyone to deal with the Rams secondaries. The Rams are one of the few secondaries that, you know, stack up, can stack up so many, you know, good players, yet they'll still stick with zone and they don't feel like they have to go to man coverage. A lot of the teams like the Dolphins, you know, when you have two really good cornerbacks on the outside, like not that, not that, you know, the Rams have two of these, they've got, you know, Ramsey and then their other two yeah. hugest playmakers are really on the defensive line. And if you probably throw Leonard Floyd in as like a third, right. in the front seven. Um, but whenever you look at this, the situation, as far as the way the matchup works, like, and it's worked good for the 49ers here historically, but the Rams utilize zone coverage 77% of the time. That's the second most in the league. Anybody that's listened to this podcast very long knows that the splits for Samuel and Kittle, and we saw it continue last week. I know Kittle didn't come through in the box score, I think you have some nuggets for folks here in a few minutes on Kittle, so I won't spoil that. But, you know, he could have had a huge play that we we already talked about the other day, you know, on our recap podcast. It may have been like a 50-yard touchdown reception that just, you know, doinked right off of his shoulder pads. But when you look at Kittle and you look at Samuel, their splits this season, targets per route run versus man and zone. For Samuel, when he's against man coverage, jumps it's at 19%, jumps to 26% versus zone. Kittle's almost identical, 18% targets per route run versus man coverage, 26% versus zone coverage. And then when you really look at what these guys have done over the last two seasons, while these rosters have been mostly what they are, you know, today, not, not 100%, but you know, not a ton of changes. Whenever you look at Samuel last four games, 
30 targets, 26 receptions, 391 yards, two receiving touchdowns. Oh, yeah, threw in 14 rushing attempts for 75 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Then when you look at Kittle and his last three versus uh, the Rams secondary, 23 targets, 17 receptions, 169 yards, and two touchdowns. So both of these guys, their yards, not just their targets per route jump, yards per route run go through the freaking roof when they go from zone uh, to man cover or from man to zone. So for Samuel, yards per route run versus man, 1.87 versus zone, 3.45. Kittle (laughs) goes from a 1.80 to a 2.59. So these are two guys, and I'm going to jam both of them, like in multiple lineups this weekend, just knowing that there's that opportunity. One of them, I think, will have to be, and if I if I do something with an optimizer, the rule will be to have one of these two players in every single lineup. And we've seen Jennings and Ayuk also have some solid games, you know, against these teams, but really they're more the man beaters this season for the 49ers. Now, Jennings in Week 18 did have seven targets, six receptions, 94 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, so it's not like you know some of these other guys can't get off too. There is a chance that, unfortunately, we see Jennings' playing time reduced because Mohamed Sanu has been activated, could be back out there. Yeah. That is why Jennings shot I don't think it's going to happen just lineup. because how well Jennings has played down the stretch. And just, I would think so, Dwayne, but we're only but we like two know. weeks You're removed right. from— we never know. Remember when Shanahan said that Jennings plays like he's blacked out? Like, that, man, like that doesn't sound like someone that he might be trusting in the NFC Championship. I don't know. Uh, I took it as a positive. Like, he just goes all out. I don't know. Maybe I read the quote wrong. <laughs> Uh, maybe blacked out we'll like see. he's pissed drunk or just blacked doesn't know out what's like going he doesn't on. care about what happens with his body and he's just he's just gonna do anything he needs to do i guess i guess it could go either way so we'll see i just you know uh maybe shave a little bit of your expectations uh for jennings with that in mind just trying to but if i thought like folks were gonna move off of because this is a slate where you know everybody's gonna have roster shit so if I thought that was enough to move folks off of Jennings, like just because they thought now about it's an Sanu, opportunity. Yeah, I would say that that's an actual opportunity to be over the field. We'll see where the roster ship projections come in, but um, it'll be be something to keep an eye on. Look, I mean, we saw Jimmy in week 18. That was arguably, you know, particularly the second half, arguably his finest moment of the entire season. I don't think many would disagree uh, with that, but Man, in these two matchups, we've seen Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries, 91 scoreless yards, and then 21 carries, 85 scoreless yards. I just hope that if Jimmy G is healthy to do it, they go ahead and try to get these top-tier weapons involved. Because, Dwayne, you brought up like everything that Debo and Kittle are capable of doing. Let's see it. Last week was the first time since week 15 Kittle had over 30 yards. Debo, I love seeing him at RB. Let's remember, the guy can catch the ball. He has more than four catches in just one of his last nine games. And that was fine when it was Brandon Ayuk just really stepping up, you know, in his in his place on the outside. With that said, last week, goose egg on just one target throughout there. I love Brandon Ayuk's downfield blocking to Kyle Shanahan. It's okay to get him involved in the offense as well instead of just running up Elijah Mitchell against Aaron Donald and company 20-plus times a game. But I digress. Who just had one target Uh, last week? Ayuk. Okay, I thought you were saying Debo. I was like, well, Debo was like, he was at 24%. So he did like what we usually think he would against his own. Okay, yeah, Ayuk was only 6%. I will say with uh, Jalen Ramsey, obviously, I, in my opinion, best cornerback in the game. That was a rough one for him last week, though. Season high, 104 yards in his coverage. That's actually the only time since he's joined the Rams that he's allowed over 100. Shout out to Mike Evans. I think all of it except for like six yards to O.J. Howard did come at the direct hands of Mike Evans. So he definitely won that matchup in style. But hey, you know, even when Ramsey isn't at his, at his best, when you got Von Miller leading the week with 10 pressures and, oh, wait, Aaron Donald in second place with eight, you're able to shore up a lot of those deficiencies so we'll see if that front seven and Jalen Ramsey can take over and really you know just slay this dragon that they've had to deal with I saw a funny meme it was uh, from Reservoir Dogs and they have they're having the standoff you know everyone's pointing a gun at each other and the uh and I'm sorry for whoever tweeted this because it was a good tweet I'm just not sure who it was but it was like showing the last six games where the Rams have been getting slaughtered by the 49ers, but then the 49ers have been getting slaughtered by the Seahawks, and then the Seahawks have been getting (laughs) slaughtered by the Rams. So we have like a three-way thing going on here in the NFC West. Just crazy kind of how some of it's shaking out. NFC West menage, I got it. 
Exactly. So, all right, let's finish things off here with a look at the Los Angeles Rams. Matthew Stafford coming off, you know, just really the performance of his career, particularly that last BEA, beautiful deep ball to Cooper Cup, even with Ndamukong Sue breathing down his neck. And hey, you know, in the first two matchups, we did see flashes of success, particularly when the Rams were willing, to, or excuse me, when the 49ers were willing to man up with these receivers. I mean, against cover one and cover zero in these two matchups, Matthew Stafford, 12 for 14, 160. 64 yards and three touchdowns. The problems have come a little bit more when they run zone coverage. Just 12 for 22, 143 yards and three picks against cover three, six for 19 for 63 yards and interception against quarters. So we know he is the blitz killer. Everything we said about Joe Burrow earlier in the episode also applies to Matthew Stafford. But, you know, I would really encourage people use that PFF sub, use code FANCY and get 25% off because Seth Galena, who I think is one of our sharpest, you know, football minds in the industry, him and Deion. Dante Lee, two high podcasts, just absolute fire each and every episode. But he wrote a great article on the 49ers D talking about how can a defense where it's your weakness is your cornerback room? And I think we can all agree on that. Like you look at the 49ers cornerbacks, that is the weak point of their defense. How have they shut down the Packers, the Cowboys, and you know, the 40 and the 49ers, at least for a little bit, or excuse me, the Rams, at least for a little bit of that game, keep getting them confused. And what they've done is they've cut their man coverage in weeks one through 11, 22% of their defensive plays were in man weeks, 12 to divisional round, just 13.9%. And Seth really complimented Fred Warner and company his ability to just hand off on their zone looks so hey man we'll see uh what they're able to do here but i just think that stafford based on how this new look 49ers defense has been performing it's going to be tough unless cooper cup just wants to go full-on god mode again yeah I, I i agree i mean it's going to be tough but i do think that you know the rams have the weapons to do this the one thing that you get with the packers is you know there's going to be a funnel to adams yeah. right and really i mean valis scantling fine okay player Alan Lazard, okay player. Randall Cobb, okay player. Those are all replacement level or below players, though, really. Like, they've not shown enough. And Now, Cobb at one point was an above replacement level player. Um, but when you look at what the Rams have and you look at Cooper Cup, that's just that's just like that's the same thing as having to face Devontae Adams, but now he's in the slot all the damn time. And Odell Beckham Jr. has been playing really well. I know a lot of people still don't want to give him credit, but like OBJ is doing his thing. He looks good. And we know Jefferson has shown flashes. Probably replacement level guy, you know, at this point, maybe a little bit lower. But Tyler Higby is also heated up. So I just think with the Rams, with their passing game, you know, they've just got, you know, more weapons that they can throw at that secondary. And they can really probably do a better job of taking advantage of some of the mismatches. Those making those handoffs may look really clean, you know, whenever you're making them against Lazard and, you know, Valis Scantling and Cobb. All of a sudden, because a lot of times your handoffs where does that come from? Comes from the inside receivers, comes from the tight ends, comes from um, the slot receiver or, you know, the Z receiver running the drag across the field. That's where a lot of those handoffs come from. And that's, you see that a lot actually with Devontae Adams, where teams that are playing match, you know, starts off with the outside corner, lets it go. Then the middle linebacker picks it up like Fred Warner, just like what Seth was saying. So, so yeah, I think that Stafford and the Rams still definitely chose, you know, it, it could be tough, but they just pose a different challenge based on the weapons that they have available. They're just in a good groove at this point. And I think the big thing I'm seeing right now, you know, the big change with Stafford over the last few games, Ian, is remember when we went into the playoffs, you and I had a conversation and Stafford was just forcing the ball too much. The turnover rate had really shot up. He only has one turnover play or one on one turnover worthy play in his two playoff starts after he had accumulated 10 over the final three games of the regular season. <laughs> and he had kind of gotten a rut. And so he appears like he's gotten out of that at this point you know sack rates are also down he had a couple of bad sack games uh towards the end of the season last two weeks sack rates only at five percent and five percent so stafford looking pretty good and just like what we talked about with you know the niners versus you know the rams defense it's kind of the same for the rams against the 49ers defense who use zone on 72 percent of their plays yes they do use a lot of match concepts where it looks more like man once the play is all said and done like what you were talking about but overall it is a it's a zone type scheme at least to begin the play when you look at what the Rams have been able to do against zone it's been pretty solid look the league's gonna the entire league like touchdowns per attempt goes lower like
like when you play against more zone because they're taking away the big plays. But the key is like what happens with your completion percentage, your ability to take the underneath stuff, keep things marching down the field. That's where the challenge will come from Stafford for Stafford. Like we have seen him at times, Ian, get a little bit antsy. You know, he makes that play action move, does his little bootleg, and he wants to throw <laughs> back across the hash. And a lot of times he will blindly throw that. That's the type of stuff that I think the 49ers will still be looking to take away. So Stafford's going to have to be willing to go underneath. That's really where Higby has really become like a solid player. Like over the last few weeks, his targets have been 21%, 22%, and 18%. And that's after all year hovering like around 10%. So he's been much more involved in the underneath stuff as Stafford's just been more disciplined. But when you look at, you know, the targets per route run, I think you're going to, you could potentially see more go to the running backs this week. So for example, sorry, my dog's behind me. What's up, Nora? Say hi. (laughs) <laughs> she was snoring a second ago. Now she's sneezing. But um, Cam Akers, you know, targets per route run. Now, this small sample, obviously, with Akers hadn't been back very long. But you can put it together with Michelle versus man coverage, only 9% targets per route run and 6% for Michelle. But once you go to zone, Akers, 25% targets per route run versus zone coverage, 15% for Michelle. So it could be a game where we, we do see – Akers get a little bit more involved. He isn't traditionally, he's not that involved in the passing game historically, but he has had games where that has shown up, not necessarily against the 49ers, but that is something to watch. And obviously I already mentioned Higby. He jumps from a 13% to a 17% targets per route run versus man versus versus zone. Oh, and Higby, the last uh, four games against uh, the 49ers, 18 targets, 13 receptions, 137 yards, but three touchdowns in in that stretch. (laughs) It's a great point about having these other weapons that they're able to look at. I mean, just during these playoffs, man, OBJ, 11 targets. He's caught 10 of them for 123 and a score. And, you know, it's this 49ers defense in two tries really couldn't slow down Cup either. 18 of 21 targets were caught, 240 yards and a touchdown. Like, credit to the Rams, man. It's legal in the year 2022 now to have more than one great receiver. I tried to make this point on Twitter about the Packers. I don't know. Maybe try to invest in another good receiver or just use the ones you have. I know they drafted Rodgers um, in the third round uh, this past year. And everyone was quick to remind me, like, the days when they had Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson on the same team. That was awesome. You won a Super Bowl. Why haven't you tried to replicate that? Jordy Nelson left the team after 2016, and they were just like, okay, Devontae, you got this. You know, we'll bring back Randall Cobb in five years and uh, see what goes on. <laughs> see what goes on there. So it's like, and I I saw the all 22 of Rodgers missing Alan Lazard down the middle and everything. But can you blame the guy for focusing more on Adams when everything matters, man? So, or just, you know, write off Rodgers, say he's a fraud. And the problem do whatever is you we, we can want. do that all day long with all 22. Like it, these these games, once we get down to tighter slates, that kind of stuff pops up on Twitter more. But you can find those kind of plays for every quarterback every game. Even for Jimmy G, yeah. who I just spent, you know, five minutes shitting on, like that one where they're showing how wide open George Kittle is in the end zone. Watch like the other angle of that. And like Jimmy G's back is turned to him there because he was under pressure exactly. at that point. So it was still a bad decision to make that throw, but it wasn't. I was watching as Devontae egregious. Adams for the stuff I, I was the offseason stuff I've been researching that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. yesterday, I watched Devontae Adams basically until my eyes bled because I just wanted <laughs> to make sure I really understood what good looked like, right? Against press coverage and all these different things. And I know Devontae can give me that. And I see plenty of, you know, brackets, doubles, all that kind of stuff. Like he gets all of it. And so, but man, just watching that film, I saw multiple times where Aaron Rodgers, same kind of thing. You know, there's a guy wide open. It, it happens, man. It, it, a lot of this comes down to what is your what is your progression telling you? What way are you looking first? Look, quarterbacks grade out better when they get the ball to their first read. Once you go to the second read, your EPA goes down. Um, I mean, a lot of those things go down. So like they want to get the ball, you know, to the design first receiver if they can. And if it's against zone, a lot of times it's based on you may go through more progressions. But a lot of times when they get man, like they, you know, they've got something really designed that they want to use. So it'll be it'll be something that it's going to always pop up, man. Always. It just happens to be more whenever it's isolated down to, oh, we only have four games to watch. <laughs> hey, first time Packers played the 49ers this year. Last drive of the game, one, two, three complete, you know, completions to Devontae Adams, and they win the game, even though the whole stadium knew who the ball was going to. Just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Final point uh, I just wanted to make. You mentioned, uh, Dwayne, it might be a little bit harder for them to latch on the Cooper Cup, being as how much spent time he spends in the slot. And it's very true, man. Like last week, Cup had 49 snaps in the slot. Devontae Adams, 17. And you know, I know we can look at different dropbacks, but Cup actually 
averages 36 snaps in the slot per game. If you look at the 49ers, man, 23rd in yards per attempt allowed to receivers aligned out of the slot on the season. And even looking at, you know, what Seth brought up, how from week 12 to the divisional round has been kind of a different scheme change. They're actually worse. They rank 27th in yards per attempt to the slot during that range. So with all this in mind, mind, Dwayne, where do you see it? This one going out. We got the Rams sitting as three and a half point favorites. I think you sold me enough here on them to think that they win. But is that line a yeah. little bit too high? No, I'm I'm going with the Rams, and I I think they're going to cover. I, I know that sounds crazy because of the last several games against the 49ers. I just I think they're still overall just they're the better team. They have the better the, the hotter quarterback. I know as much as we may beat on Stafford, like he's a better quarterback than Jimmy G. And the other part of it probably is, you know, Ian, I just I want Stafford to be the one to go because I just I look this is not against 49er fans. I actually would be fine rooting for them in the Super Bowl. I mean, they knocked out the Cowboys. I just don't want to see Jimmy G playing quarterback in the damn Super Bowl. I feel like Stafford gives me a better shot. Like if you've got to go up, you know, against Mahomes or Burrow to really, you know, be able to equalize them. Right. I don't think Jimmy G really has any chance. Like everything has to work right. It has to be the 49ers scheme. He's not going to outduel those two guys on most days. I just think Stafford has a little bit more of an opportunity to do that. You could argue that, yeah. Debo Samuel plus Kittle is probably better than, you know, Cup versus, you know, OBJ. But I don't know. That's pretty close. And then if you look at the weapons after that and how much the the Rams are willing to get those options involved, right, because they will throw the ball more. Um, you know, I just I, I lean to the Rams. I'm going to go Rams, too. I will say, though, buying that at half point to get the number down to three, um, I think could be yes. worthwhile just looking at how these teams have played earlier this year. Final point here. Let's talk about Do you about remember what the bit. lead was, Ian? If not, no big deal. Like, how much were the Rams on them? Um, going I think into they were like, up. I got it up. In that I last think game. they were up 14 and a half. Let me yeah. Because it was the first time like McVeigh had ever like lost with a lead yeah. at halftime okay. or whatever. It was it was seventeen three in the first half. Yeah, McVeigh, you know, was running down to the end zone to celebrate with the squad, and then things quickly went south. <laughs> yeah, so I I feel like it's 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 there. I, you know, some things obviously happened in that game that turned things around. But like, look, it is the NFL. Like turnovers are huge. Like. Stafford cannot turn the ball over. He cannot come out and have a three-pick game. If he does that, he's probably going to lose to the 49ers. You said that, Jarek McKinnon, you wanted to rank him as the RB1, but you didn't. Is that because of Sir Cam Akers? No, no. Um, actually, I kept Mixon at one just because, okay. you know, we've look, Mixon, you just kind of have to respect the game and what he's done. Um, but I had Akers at three. So I have, I have Mixon, then McKinnon, then Akers, then Elijah Mitchell in my top four. It is absolutely absurd the amount of touches that Akers has it, been it racking up as the feature back. Uh, once again, mentioned that, you know, looking at every single backfield split, and I try to take injuries completely out of the picture. So for Akers, I use his five starts from last season, including the playoffs, along with his two most recent games from this year, extrapolated that to 17 games. And he would have joined Dwayne without injuries, would have joined Derrick Henry as the only players in the NFL with more than 400 touches. Somehow that only comes out to RB. 18 because my god man he can't find the end zone five touchdowns and 258 career touches i'm sure that will kind of right the ship here along the way but yeah man as long as they are totally in on acres man that role is gonna be massive let's hope those two fumbles really didn't change anyone's mind but you know with daryl henderson still even if he comes back you know probably not 100 percent i guess we don't know for sure and to see acres already beat out sony um i do think like they've committed to him at this point i do too i think if henderson's back and healthy enough Enough, he takes over some of that passing down work that Michelle's had, um, but yeah. I think I think Cam still remains like the lead um, back as far as you know the rushing attempts and still staying involved some in the passing game. Dwayne, everyone can find your work on pff.com. You got the utilization report already out. What else is on the docket for this week? Yeah, we got the top free agents at wide receiver. You know something you know. We kind of both have our own takes, and we'll we'll talk about that next week on a pod. But that yeah. will hit, and then um, I will have my ranks up. I'm not doing a ranking article. I'm pretty much using this show for that. I shared like all the stuff that goes into my ranks here, um, just because we're just down to the to the two games. Um, but then, mm-hmm. man, tons of research right now, and and the uh, behind the scenes stuff going into 
man coverage, zone coverage, single man, really trying to isolate down to like the type of stuff that matters for receivers. Um, like for example, getting rid of noisy data where we know the defense is just giving up underneath coverage, even though they may be playing single man, like it might be third and 15 and they could be in man coverage, but it's off coverage and the receiver runs a five yard route. Well, yeah, of course I, I'm not, we don't grade that. We can't grade that as open or count that as, Oh, he beat man coverage. So really working with our data team and cool. The cool part is like we have all this stuff tagged in all these different ways and people have actually thought a lot about how to do this. So just working on really, really refining that and trying to isolate that data down to stuff that truly does show us, okay, here are these two players matched up one-on-one, whether it's a match scenario or a man scenario, but basically, you know, the cornerback is in phase covering the receiver, you know, at the time of the throw and not just playing off or something like that. And so I think the more we can figure out how to do stuff like that, because we have the data for it, I think the more we potentially find, and the goal is like, we'll see, like the data will tell us, but to find like, you know, really preemptive like indicators that can tell us like, look, if XYZ changes for this player, like we could really see a boost right to their fantasy value. Yeah, and I think trying to find a way to better quantify separation is, you know, a root of a lot of things you're looking at, and it's a great endeavor. We all can see the wide receivers and the tight ends and running backs who can separate better than others, but to your point, like, those off coverages, you know, just having, if you look at next-gen stats, I'm not trying to shit on next-gen or anything, you can look at any separation stats, you're going to see the same problem come up. This year's leader, Rondale Moore. Last year's, I believe, was Jimmy Graham. I'm checking this right now. Uh, last year was, was Debo Samuel, but then it was Robert Tunyon. You know, before that, we had Jimmy Graham and Jesse James popping up. So these guys that are getting like these pop passes behind the line of scrimmage, short stuff, where there's just not a defender within 10 yards. But to Dwayne's point, once you can start compensating for the average target theft, the type of covers they're facing, the situations they're in, that's when we can finally start to get hopefully more stable metrics with it. So I think, you know, Dwayne, like that's what we do for a lot of these stats. You know, we've talked about quarterbacks and how deep balls and under pressure, those are more volatile year to year. We we have more stable metrics. You know, how do they do without play action on first and second down? And, and we know receivers pocket. getting open versus man coverage in general is a sticky stat. Yeah. So, which is why I really want to chase this down. Like, if we can reduce the noise in that signal, like, what could that? And it may not. It may not be a lot. Like sometimes you and I, like we we go into the. You know, we may spend two weeks like researching and writing about something, and you get to the end of it, and you're like, well, it kind of matters, but not a lot. But I mean, I'll, <laughs> what the audience can count on is we'll be honest about it. Like whatever we find is what we find. Um, but I'm just excited because of all the stuff that the data team has done over the last year. So mad props like to those guys working behind the scene. So like um, under like so if, if the if the play's under the coverage, right, like I can kick those out. If it's a pick play, right, the defender can't even help it. Like and it's a situation he couldn't avoid. Guess what? Our team actually grades that. Was it an avoidable pick or not? And so if you're just getting picked, you know, at the goal line, like, and you're wide open, is that really, oh, you beat man coverage? No, I mean, this, that was more the scheme. The scheme set you up, right? And for the most part right now, I'm kind of eliminating zone just because zone really seems to be off the data I can see so far. It's really more about, um, you know, the right play call versus the right situation. And that makes sense to me because if you think about it, all the times we've talked about some of the stuff I've been researching as this year's gone on, anytime a team plays against another team with zone, typically the targets spread out more. And so that makes sense. The quarterback's going through the progression. Oh, it's cover three. This is my cover three beater on this play. Right. And so it just happens to get spread around a little bit more. So super excited you know, about all that. Plus getting rid of the plays where the receiver lets up because the ball's already out of the quarterback's hand, throwing to the guy on the right side of the field when the left hand side guy is running a go. Like, OK, great. We're not going to say, look, you were you were covered whenever you gave up on the play at 10 yards in. Right. It may look like at 15 yards you're covered, but really you you gave up on the play because the ball was already out of the quarterback's hand. So lots of cool stuff that I'm excited about digging into. The dogs agree, man. Like, this is something to be excited <laughs> yeah, about. No, Nora didn't and, say anything, know, though. She kept quiet. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be barking all about that on the uh, Tuesday edition of the podcast next week. Like Dwayne, I also dove into some free agent wide receiver stuff. Uh, looked at kind of what I was able to figure out the top five kind of most fantasy friendly destinations, you know, looking at both quarterback play and available targets. So make sure you check that one out. PFF.com also wrote about how Jimmy G does less than just about any playoff QB in recent memory. If you did not get enough of my slander on this episode, we'll also have that running back ranking out if injuries didn't exist and probably something else i don't know Dwayne. i like waking up in the morning and writing about whatever the hell i feel like sometimes so i'm happy that pff uh, affords me the opportunity 
So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.